1: Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Women Ask Cast June mailbag edition. That's right, it is the 1st of June as we record. So technically, well not technically, that definitely makes this the June mailbag. And we did one in May, so um, why not? Uh, with me as ever, uh, to go through some of your questions which were submitted on Twitter, so thanks for all of those, is Alex Ibasetta Alex, how are you doing?
2: Yeah, not bad. feels weird to be in off-season again. Um, But thankfully, there's a lot of positive news to talk about this time around.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Since the last time we recorded, obviously we recorded just a couple of days after the end of the season last time and quite a lot of news since then. Um, Obviously, I think... I can't remember whether these had happened the last time we recorded, but Steph Catley and Noel Maritz have extended their contracts, Caitlin Ford has extended her contract, and of course, Vivian Medema has extended her contract, and obviously, there are some questions around that as well. Um, but just to kind of, I guess, get your initial reaction to, to Viv extending her contract, and um, the last time we recorded, that news broke about two hours after we finished <laughs> recording, which... Instantly dated a lot of our kind of speculations, etc. But yeah. in our defence, in about March, we spoke about this and kind of predicted that she might sign on for one year and see how things go, which is pretty much exactly what she's done. First of all, were you surprised? And I guess um, you know because you also wear a Barcelona hat as well. <laughs> how how happy or, or or maybe unhappy were you with the news?
2: I was. I mean, just looking at it from a, yeah, my emotions were kind of mixed in the sense of, yeah, like I really wanted, to, wanted her to be at Barcelona, but at the same time for Arsenal, losing Miedema was, you know, one of the worst things that could possibly happen. But yeah, we, we did speak about it. And to be honest, I was very shocked um, because I did think that she was already out the door. Um, I think looking at it from a very pessimistic way, I think we gave her enough reasons to leave. If I'm being quite honest, um, and the prospect of playing at Barcelona is obviously big, um, but then obviously that rides on a lot of different things at Barcelona—the playing time, the players there, um, and all that kind of factors in. But then I think the best possible outcome—I don't think she was ever going to sign a contract more than one year. Um, so for Arsenal, kind of, they got—we got the best possible outcome from Viv in the sense that we're we're with her for one more year, um, and kind of need to prove a point in that sense, because then again, we have to look at, you know, Leah Williamson is on the same boat. Um, so if everything goes wrong, then we lose Viv and Leah at the same time next season. But let's not think about that just yet. <laughs> um, but no, I was I was overall, I was shocked because I was more inclined of, of you know, yeah, we, we gave her enough reason to be like, look, I don't want to be here anymore. And and there's more potential somewhere else. Um, but the fact that she stayed, I think, is a big compliment to the club. And hopefully it is it's not just empty promises, if that makes sense. Um, but no, I mean, and we, we all know how big it is to have Viv in, and I'm really hopeful next season that we could actually compete for the title and win it this time around.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think as well um, in the cold light of day, there are a few things that have gone in Arsenal's favour that maybe weren't entirely of Arsenal's making in that she's very settled in, in London, in St. Albans and she owns her house and she really likes playing in the WSL and I think on balance she, the, the prospect of kind of playing for Barcelona and winning 6-0 every week um, maybe didn't appeal to her as much, um, as much as she'd like to win the Champions League. I, I think essentially, I think she's been very clear that there is no way that whatever happens that she will finish her career with Arsenal. Um, so even if Arsenal go really, really well, I think in the best case scenario, it's like another three years. And then I think she'd really like to experience another league. That's my read of it. Yeah. So I, I think like to get her for another year um, is great, obviously better than the alternative. I also think as a fan, um, I think it's really enthusing, first of all, that her and Leah, because Leah signed a very similar contract this time last year and then was convinced to extend even further. It, it's... Encouraging that there's that at least cautious optimism among the players and that they're a group that like being together as well. Like Arsenal have kept the core of that. Those kind of 14, 15 players we really saw play lots of minutes last season are all staying um, and we've got questions over that. But I also think as a fan, it's good to have like players who are pushing the club like that and saying, okay, you only keep me on condition Um, And, you know, hopefully keep Arsenal a bit honest. So, yeah, I I was surprised in the end. I was told in about March that a one-year extension was very much on the cards. But then when I didn't hear anything for a few weeks, I thought, well, that's obviously changed. And like you, I never thought she'd sign for longer than that. I, I think there's some suggestion that the contract might be a one plus one deal. But um, I don't think that makes a huge amount of difference because if it is a one plus one, I'm sure it's the player that triggers that extra year because there would be no point whatsoever in the club being the ones that trigger that extra year because obviously they'll do it. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's incentive based. Maybe it's like if Arsenal win the Champions League, that triggers the next year. Like, I don't know. Um, but I, I think basically Whatever the contract is The understanding is kind of the same Which is next spring She'll have another look um, Essentially But the longer you can get Medium them The better As far as I'm concerned So um, yeah, yeah, really positive news. I, ju- I just wish it would have come out a few hours earlier. <laughs> didn't instantly date the last podcast. Um, okay, so let- let's crack on with questions question. Again, we had loads and loads of questions submitted on Twitter and really we could only ask about a quarter of them at the most and I've grouped some together because there are some kind of similar themes. So the, the first one, well, it's two really I'm grouping together because they deal with very similar themes. So uh, Marieke von Litt um, asks loads of renewals, Caitlin, Noel, Steph, Viv, Leah, Lotta. What, in your opinion, does that say about the atmosphere and Jonas's vibe at the club? And on a very similar line, uh, Dolan. Uh, dolan sorry zzz at dolan zzz8 after a couple of years with high turnover of big players like van der donk rood how much of an advantage do you think the contract renewals we're learning about will contribute to next season particularly with chelsea and especially city losing a few big players and associated and associated stability
2: yeah it's i mean it's really positive um, not to to kind of toot our own horn but I think the how close we got, I mean, looking solely at the WCL, how close we got to winning the league, I think it was it, it's very important that we're keeping a lot of the same players that were there this season. Um, and you give Jonas, you know, his first season, it went really well. You give him time to progress into next season with more or less the same players, um, and a lot of key players at that um is, is really big, I think. It's kind of I'm trying not to get too hopeful because Arsenal, but it's it's big in the sense that Man City are losing players. Chelsea are kind of going to lose a few big names in there potentially um on and off the pitch. But then so to have Arsenal going into next season being the most consistent out of those top three, I think is gonna give is gonna give us a big advantage. Um especially when we still have Viv to score those goals and have that incentive to do better than they did this, this season. Um I mean, I'm going into this next season hopeful, and and I think the players know that as well. That looking all around and looking at the players that we have, and Jonas's motivation, and the way that the club is progressing, and potentially getting a lot of, um, you know, just improvements off the pitch could be big for Arsenal. And um, and looking at all that, and on paper, we're gonna we're gonna say this on paper because who knows what's gonna happen on the pitch? It's looking really good, and the players know that. And and I, if I'm being honest, you know, one year on your contract. Let Viv, let Le let Leah, let everyone kind of win what they need to win in the next season and then they're off happy, if that makes sense. Um it's like a little happy ending. Um but I think it's looking really good for next season and, and these signings are a big testament to the potential that Arsenal have in this next season.
1: Yeah, I, I think um, when I look at Chelsea winning the league by one point, I think there's two things that made a big difference. The first is Samka, obviously, um, but the, the other one is the stability that they had, that they weren't turning over lots of players. Obviously, they um, they have to rebuild their midfield a little bit with G going and Melanie, Melanie Leupholz on maternity leave. So uh, as far as Chelsea are concerned, that's as close to upheaval as they get. Man City as well, they're losing lots of big players and obviously they'll sign lots of good players but yeah you could hopefully be looking at a, a scenario where it takes them a little bit of time to bed in next year whereas that was Arsenal last year I think the other thing to say here as well is Arsenal brought in three players in January which I think should be looked at as signings for this coming season basically so Haffaele who unfortunately we didn't see very much of Stina, who we saw plenty of but she's had adaptation and things like that. And then we've got Laura Weinreuter kind of um, as a meaningful rotation option with with Noel Maritz. So there's there's three signings that were made in January that I really think should be considered signings for next year. And they're already integrated. Um, and only one, no, no, actually two of them will be going to the Euros. But um, so, you know, it's, I, I, I think that's, that's really, really positive um, as well. Um but some really surprised news that broke on Sunday evening and uh, when i found out about this a couple of hours before the announcement it's it's one of those things it's one of those things i really hate sitting on because it's so it's so surprising and it's such a kind of bombshell um but at the same time <laughs> you kind of want to hint to people that something's about to go down but I I couldn't say it in as many words but but obviously Kim Little has taken the decision to go on loan to OL Reign for the summer so she's joining them today officially um and will play like their next 6 7 matches before joining up with Arsenal for the first day of pre-season um and you know just information on top of that I'm told that Kim really wanted to do this that Um, Otherwise for her, it would have been more than four months between games. And she felt that that would have been bad for her fitness. And she wants to keep ticking over. Obviously she has history with rain and with the coach, Laura Harvey, who she's played under at Arsenal and rain when they were Seattle rain and rain as well. They're, they're losing Rose Lavelle and Quinn, um, I believe for a couple of games for CONCACAF world cup qualifiers. So kind of, it certainly makes a lot of sense for rain. Um, Makes some sense for Kim. I suppose there's a question about how much sense it makes for Arsenal, but we've got two questions on that. Um, and the first one is from Gunnosaurus Fan at Beltran's Old Mole, who has been um, a guest on this podcast as well. Um, with Kim going on loan to Rain, do you think that might precipitate a transition in Arsenal's midfield? And in that case, do you think it will be Frieda or a new signing? And John Booth at John Booth74, Kim obviously knows her body better than I do. But are you at all worried about her playing a number of games this summer on the back of a full season for Arsenal? So what what do you reckon, first of all, about Kim's move, how much sense it makes for Arsenal, and whether that might lead to a slight transition next season in midfield?
2: Yeah, it's going to be... It's an interesting one. I've had time to kind of sit on it and think my opinion about it and I've came to no conclusion basically um because it, it goes back and forth between you know Kim Little retired from the national team to give her body a rest and be able to kind of recuperate from everything and Arsenal have had you know a long season and now she's gonna go off for the entire summer and play in the NWSL which is a completely different pace completely different game even the pitches you know you're playing on a lot of artificial turf and it's just a very big change um so in that sense I'm kind of I wouldn't say concerned because you know Kim is a professional she wouldn't really do this um if she wasn't ready you know she did retire from the national team because of that so you know she is able to make these decisions in a very responsible way and I mean if there's one player that's responsible it's definitely Kim Little um so I, I trust her in the sense that she's well aware of kind of what this entails going to the NWCL and then coming back to the to England and, you know, starting the preseason, starting the, you know, the Women's Champions and qualifiers quite early as well. So I think she, she knows what she's doing, but it is obviously a big concern, you know, if Kim Little kind of injures herself, um, there goes a big chunk of our midfield right away. Um, but I think on the caveat of, of kind of, changing the Arsenal midfield I think it is possible to kind of replacement is obviously not the right word for Kim Little but if she does get injured if she does need less playing time I think we do have the capacity to kind of I wouldn't say fill her in because I think we would have to change our our kind of midfield balance if we put in a freedom Adam or Mano for example um but I think it is possible with, with the players that like the quality of players that we have in, in those positions. I don't think it's going to be a major kind of rebuild in the sense that the quality is still going to be quite high. Um, but obviously, you know, you have the fear of Kim Little getting injured. But I would assume that, again, she's a, she's a very responsible player. So I'd assume that they're going to manage her load quite well in the NWSL. Um, Whether that be Arsenal doing it, from here the NWCL doing it or her doing it herself I'm I'm confident that she's going to manage her load quite well for her to feel comfortable and at the end of the day you know if all these players all of our players are playing the Euros yes they're going to be tired but they're going to be in form come preseason and come the Women's Champions League qualifiers Um, and if you have a Kim Little that's kind of off form then that doesn't really do us any favors either so I'm kind of I'm looking at it on the positive side that we're going to get a very comfortable and fit Kim Little like right off the start of the season so looking at it that way I could see it benefiting us quite a lot
1: yeah I I think there's a few things to say about this I think first of all she's going over um, today well she's I think she's already over in Seattle um, and she starts training today she doesn't have her first game till June the 18th so she's got like Two and a half weeks of, of ramping up to competition again. And then, you know, she'll have, I think there are seven games while she's there. And then she'll come back for the first day of pre season. I'm sure she won't do the same pre season training as everyone else. Um, I'm sure that they'll consider her, you know, <laughs> they'll, they'll consider her tuned to some degree. But then there isn't really a game for Arsenal, like, because pre season starts on August the 15th. I don't think the the starting date for next season's WSL is public yet i haven't been able to find it i think it starts a bit later because of the euros because the euros finish on july the 31st so you know she'll she'll finish up there and then there'll be because the first champions league qualifier that arsenal are involved in is september the 20th or 21st so there's like another 5 weeks um, after preseason training, again, I don't know exactly when the WSL starts. So, essentially, she's going to go to Seattle now, couple of weeks training, seven games, come back, and then have like another four weeks potentially training before another game. So, I don't think, like, I think load wise, Arsenal should be able to manage that. As to whether it precipitates a transition away, I mean, like you say, she could get injured. That that is obviously a flight risk um, here, and so. You know how how will she start the season? Will she need a rest in the middle of the season, like some of the players who went to the Olympics were given um i mean i don 't really know the answers. I would be surprised like Kim played by far and away the most minutes for Arsenal this season. She was way over three thousand minutes, and no one else um, no one else had that many. However, obviously she retired from international football now i don 't think she retired from international football entirely for physical reasons. Um, I, I think that maybe Scotland are going through a bit of a transition and are possibly unlikely to qualify for the next World Cup. So, um, you know, maybe it was a slightly um, political decision um, as well. But if there is like a transition or if next season it's necessary to start without Kim, uh, it, it could be Frida. it could be a new signing. Like, personally, I still think Jordan Nobbs is a number eight. (laughs) And I think we have a brilliant number eight sitting there who's going to be fit for the start of next season because Jordan's injury, unfortunately, only just rules her out of the Euros, but she's expected to be okay for the beginning of preseason. I'd love to just see us play Jordan at number eight. I don't... I I think she can play number 10, but I I really see her. Yeah, yeah. I, I really see her as an eight, so... Um, I, I'd just love to see her a bit more involved um, in that position personally. Whether that will happen, I don't know. I do think there'll be a signing in midfield, but maybe as a kind of more of a Leo Volti backup. Um, We've got a couple of questions around um, kind of, I guess, behind-the-scenes additions. So, uh, Leontine Dawn, at Leontine Dawn, um, I understand that Jonas wants to extend his staff. Any news on that? Which functions we should think of? And similarly, L at Grass Seasons, do you have any idea about the roles of additional staff they're hiring behind the scenes um, and how that level of investment compares to other big European clubs? The the thing I can say on this information-wise is that Arsenal have hired... Um, another strength and conditioning coach um, called uh, Pauly Roche. He's moving over from the academy um, to join the to join the team, and that's an addition to the team, not a replacement, is my understanding. Um, and personally, I really like I really like the idea of these kind of coaches moving around different departments of the club. So you build up like a real club intelligence and club IQ. And also, we heard you know, the back end of last season that Jonas wants to strengthen links to the under 15s and under 16s teams, um, because he feels that particularly in Europe, the physical issue was quite a big one for Arsenal. So I, you know, if it strengthens those links, um, that's potentially good news. So that's, that's one I know about. Um, but what about you, Alex, like in terms of, um, you know, other additional, additional staff, I guess, um, you know, I, I guess how how enthused are you by the idea of another strength and conditioning coach? And are there other areas that you think Arsenal should maybe address?
2: Well, I think given the history of of Arsenal, another strength and conditioning coach should come to a joy for all of us. Um, no, I think I think our, obviously the the biggest kind of concern that we've had in Arsenal in particular have been injuries and and kind of players going down and having really long recoveries, um, which it's, it's not all down to, to the staff in the club, for example, but there are a lot of ways of kind of avoiding that beforehand. And if you have a small team looking over this, then it's not going to be good. But if you expand the team, you need to have a big team in order for this to work flawlessly. And obviously it's not going to happen from one season to another, but if you look at Lyon, if you look at Chelsea, if you look at all these clubs that have... A very, very big kind of staff looking over this particular kind of area of of the club in terms of strength and conditioning, and now it's not only just you know on and off the pitch, it's kind of the whole health of the player um whether it's at home again, the menstrual cycles the the load the muscular it's kind of you need to in order for this to kind of really really work, you need to personalize each player and play to their strengths and, and weaknesses and know what works and doesn't. And this isn't going to work until you expand the team big enough that it's going to be, you know, feasible. If one, one, two people, one, two, three people are are overlooking the entire squad. Um, I mean, that's really going to be really hard on them. So I think any expansion of the strength and conditioning and the medical staff is always going to be welcomed and it's always going to be needed if they want to, you know, if Jonas wants to increase that physicality, then, you're definitely going to need more people on the staff that are going to aid you and focus solely on that, if that makes sense. Um, I think that would be it. And then, you know, the rest of the rest of the staff, it would be more of, does Jonas want to have another analyst? Do they want to have, you know, opposition analysts specifically for that flying around and kind of looking at, you know, the, the women's champions, like there's only so much that's that people can watch and so much that Jonas can understand. If you have someone specifically looking at that, then that's going to help a lot, for example. Um, So that's kind of the the two that first come to my mind in that sense.
1: Yeah. I I think the physical side is a big side for Jonas and and I can see why I do think, you know, you look at the Wolfsburg, particularly second leg, and we've all seen the games against Chelsea. I don't think this was that much the case last season but we've certainly seen us outmuscled by by Chelsea and you know Jonas highlighted teams who go like player for player marking so even Hoffenheim do that and in the second Hoffenheim game you know Arsenal got got thrashed 4-1 um and so I think that's a big side for him and I think when you look at the signings he's made in the spine of the teams, Stina Blackstinius and Haffaele um you know both like um very physical players. I think that's kind of what he'll look for in the spine of the team. Um, but but also, I, I just think on the kind of yeah, on the strength and conditioning side, on the on the kind of physical side, I, I think he just sees that as really important, particularly because of the style of football that Arsenal are looking to play—that kind of counter-pressing um, kind of style. So I, I, I think that one really makes the most sense. Um, to be honest so I, I think i think it stands to reason that that's the first appointment we've seen i i don't know like i know last summer they appointed a full-time psychologist and obviously they brought in gary lewin last summer to head up kind of um, the medical department and sports science department so um, and in terms of analysis and things like that I, I i'm not sure what the actual plans are i think the other thing that jonas has talked about a lot On the physical side, if you look at the stats about ball in play in the Women's Champions League, it is so much higher than the WSL. And this is why Jonas always talks about the multi-ball system and it being baffling to him that it's not in the WSL because when the ball goes out of play, it disappears for about a minute, particularly for the teams who play in bigger stadiums and kick the ball in the stand. And it takes like a minute for a throw in to get taken. That doesn't happen in the Women's Champions League. They have they have multi-ball and most other leagues have multi-ball. And I think one of the reasons he thinks the English teams have underperformed in the Champions League is for that reason, because the players aren't as kind of, um, you know, they get bigger breathers in the WSL. And actually I I read an interview with Joe Montemore at the beginning of last season, who said he changed his, training regimes ahead of Champions League games for that reason like to change the stimulus and make sure that the training sessions were more intense and that there was less standing around and listening in the training session and it was much more right every second of this session we keep going because in the Women's Champions League the ball goes out for a throw in, it comes straight back in Um, and I think that's a big thing for Jonas so I can see why strength and conditioning is the first place that they've added. let's have a hypothetical question because i love these um from john brannigan at john brannigan 17 you can only make one signing for arsenal this summer which position would you make it in
2: oh that's a that's a brutal question oh boy um, i know
1: my answer <laughs> oh,
2: do you want to go first tim
1: <laughs> yeah sure i f- for me um a defensive midfielder to back up slash rotate with Leo I, I think we'll see that. I don't have any names at this moment in time. I, I think we'll see that. I think we'll see perhaps again maybe a bigger player Um, and I mean in terms of stature rather than reputation necessarily um, because that's a a big part of the spine of the team. Now, obviously, Leo Valti was brilliant in the second half of last season. I think Gabion is exactly what he wanted in that role, but we don't really have any backup. I think Frida is not a number six. Kim's not really a number six. Like, it's a gap. For me, I cheat a bit on this question, um, but I really want to... to sign a defensive midfield player who can also play at centre-back to be perhaps that fourth-choice centre-back, which is going to be another gap because Anna Patton's going back to Villa on loan. Jen Beatty and Simone Boy will leave, so there'll only be three centre-halves. So I'd love to see a defensive midfielder who can also play centre-back. I also think that's a smart thing to do in a squad as well because it would keep that player involved for them to be you know, potentially a backup, maybe more than a backup, maybe someone to really challenge Leah Valti in that role. Um, But I I think we saw last season that maybe the squad's too big. Um, And I know that's not a popular sentiment, but I think in women's football, there just aren't enough games to give 25 international players football. And uh, I'd actually quite like to see the squad come down a player or two. I think it might, but, but, then just have maybe more versatile players um, around. So some like you look at what Katie McCabe does in the squad, right? The fact that she's a brilliant left-back and brilliant left-winger, and that keeps her involved. It means she can rotate with other players in that position, um, but she doesn't necessarily have to play every minute of every game. So I would prioritize DM, definitely, just because I think it's really the only gap in the squad, but I'd really like it to be a defensive midfielder who can also play center-half. So just Lena Oberdorf, that'd do me.
2: <laughs> just throwing that in there again. I think we've been saying that for like the past two seasons.
1: We'll, we'll wish it into existence.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a bit different because obviously I think I think a CDM um, would be the very obvious answer, and I do agree with that. We definitely need a kind of backup to that. Um, but I I think I'm gonna go a bit off script and say that I would really like to see a young winger. Um, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with our wingers because I think our, our front three are, are very, very good. But when you look at other teams, when you look at Barcelona with Claudia Pina, when you look at PSG with Diani in Baltimore, and when you look at Leon with Katerina Macario with Melvin Malad, um, you look at Wolfsburg now with Yule Brand, um, you know, Lea Schuller is, is quite young as well. When you look at all these big teams, They have really, really strong young players coming up and making a difference in big games. and Who's the the
1: Icelandic girl at Wolfsburg as well? Uh, Yeah,
2: Giannis Uh, Dottier. She's outstanding. She's just outrunning everybody. Um, So when you look at all these teams, they have young players who are going to be the best in the world and are already showing it quite young. Whereas we have a very experienced (laughs) team. Um, but you look at, I mean, we're not an old team. You know, we're still averaging probably mid-20s. But you look at Caitlin Forve, uh, Beth Mead, you know, Noel Maritz, Katie McCabe, Kim Little, Jordan Knobs. You know, we're not, we're a relatively older team compared to, to other teams. So I would really like to see a young, good player coming up and wrecking havoc on the pitch, um, particularly on the wing. I think that's really important um, kind of. Position for us because if you have you know a tired Beth Mead a tired Caitlin Ford you put on these fresh legs and boom um, that you're going to outrun anybody um, so I would like to see Arsenal kind of get into the the kind of trend of getting a really not a really young player but a young player that's already at a really high level and kind of letting them progress and grow with Arsenal Um that would kind of be, be my my dream.
1: that's a really really good point so for a start I think you might get something close to your wish there because um, I think it's quite likely the Brazilian forward JC Ferreira um, will join Arsenal Um, don't have 100% confirmation on that at the moment but I think it looks quite likely and I think she's she's going towards that mould. Now, she can play down the centre as well, but she can definitely play wide. And I think she fits that mould and she's someone who runs in behind and runs with the ball and is really good one-on-one, really good running off the shoulder. Um, so, yeah. And But I hadn't thought about it in in the terms that you've just put it in. in like you said, you look at Diani, Baltimore, uh, Giannis Dottier, uh, Vigne, and, and players like that, like of having those kind of young up and coming, like I guess speedsters um, in the yeah. wide positions. I, I think that's a, a really, really good shout. And I think what you're seeing with the kind of the look at the attackers that Jonas himself has brought in, uh, Stina, Tobin was his signing, um, you know, interested in JC. These are direct players. These are players that run the channels. These are players that pin teams back, that look to run off the shoulder. And in Tobin's case, you know probably like one of the best one on one wingers that women's football has ever seen so again very direct takes people on likes to beat players like i think he really likes those really direct attackers um so i do think we will see a bit of that and your your wish um, may well be granted um well, I, I guess one of the positions we didn't discuss and this that's why i'm going to bring in this question is is goalkeeper because um you know Lydia Williams' contract is up, um, and I believe that she will leave this summer. Um, so you could argue that like a, another goalkeeper would be quite a big need. But obviously, Fran Stenson's there at the moment, um, in body anyway. And uh, Lauren Jade uh, underscore asks, any idea on what on earth is happening with Fran Stenson? Since she was recalled from loan, there's been quite a few games she hasn't even been on the bench, let alone played. Um, seems like a fair bit of mismanagement over the last few years, but maybe I'm being unfair. So to put this into context, Fran Stenson signed in the summer of 2019, and she's played one game for Arsenal. Um, she spent her first season on loan at Blackburn, which was um, reasonably successful. First half of last season on loan at Brighton, barely played, recalled, didn't didn't play, and as Lauren says, barely featured in the squad. So I'd be really, really surprised if she stayed at Arsenal um after all that what what do you make of I guess the the Fran Stenson situation Alex
2: well yeah it's a bit of a confusing one when you have such a young keeper and again looking at the young player of, of you know the whole point of getting a young player who's already good is making them grow with the club you know you make them grow as a player but then as they're growing they're growing with the club and bringing the club with them if that makes sense so it's just kind of a whole thing and I, yeah, I don't think Fran has been given the chance to fully, like, grow at Arsenal. Obviously, she know she's in training sessions, but if you're not getting game time, if you're not playing with Aaliyah Williamson, you know, in front of you, if you're not getting that confidence from being on the pitch, um, when her time is finally going to come to be on the pitch, it's going to be brand new for her. And, you know, being there since 2019, I, I think it is a bit of a shame um that we've not let her kind of, get comfortable in that position um, in like a, a match environment. Cause I think that's going to be big. So that was, I, I think that was an opportunity wasted. um, Cause if she, if she's been with us for this long already, I think that's big. You know, they, they're not just keeping her on for the hell of it. Um, they're keeping her on because they do still believe in her. I would, I would like to think, um, but if she's not getting match time, then it, it kind of goes to waste the whole point of having a young keeper grow up with Arsenal. Um, So it is a bit of a shame. So hopefully we'll sort that out. But with Lydia Williams leaving, then it goes back to the question that we spoke about before of, do we want a strong number two to Manu or do we want to, you know, start over again with a younger keeper and let Manu kind of mold them into her replacement, essentially?
1: Yeah, I I think Fran, like whatever, I mean, you have to say that Arsenal have played her once, and that was in November 2020 um, at London City Lionesses in the Conti Cup. Um, you know, you, you, brutally, you have to say that obviously she hasn't impressed that much um, to not get more game time than that. For, from her point of view, I'm sure that privately she'd look back and think that she probably made a mistake coming to Arsenal because she was incredibly highly rated. She was at Man City where Arsenal got her from. And I imagine she looked at the situation at City where they had Ellie Roebuck coming through, um, who's still a young goalkeeper and and I think one of the best around. Um, And she probably thought, well, Ellie Roebuck could potentially be there for 10 to 15 years, so there's no path for me there. And and maybe in 2019, she thought, okay, more of a path at Arsenal. But when you look around at some of the young English keepers that have gone like Hannah Hampton, Fran Bentley, Emily Ramsey, they've gone on loan to like either gone on loan to or signed for like slightly lower WSL clubs and got game time and you look at Hannah Hampton Hannah Hampton was at Birmingham now she's at Villa she'll go higher than that in the game Hannah Hampton Hannah Hampton I'm sure will play for one of the big three at some point but she's gone to Birmingham and Villa because she gets picked every week and she plays every week and I'm sure you know Fran was very much in that company as a as a kind of as a youth player very separate uh, from that company now. And I'm sure that maybe she'll look, um, w- which is not to blame her for this. Like I say, in 2019, I can see why she thought there was a path at Arsenal, but there hasn't been an essentially at least 18 months of this three years she's had at Arsenal have been a bit of a waste really for her and she probably would have been better off um, playing for someone lower down in the WSL, which is a real shame. I I really hope she goes somewhere else and she plays and she fulfills her potential because we haven't really seen it at Arsenal. But I know like this is a goalkeeper who she was at Birmingham and maybe she should have stayed there, but she went to Man City and she went to Arsenal. You don't get signed by Man City and then Arsenal if you haven't got something about you. So I, I really hope she goes this summer and I hope she goes somewhere um, and gets lots of game time and, and uh, and really kind of fulfills her potential and gets back on that plateau with some of those young English keepers. Um, question um, that I anticipated um, from Jeremy Bradley at Jeremy Bradley 49. Can Mana Iwabuchi get back into the team on a regular basis? She showed real skill in the early part of last season. Now, she Obviously, she had surgery on both ankles recently at the end of the season when she went back to Japan. They'd been causing her trouble last season. So it could be that, well, it's certainly to at least some extent the reason we didn't see her much at the end of last season was was for fitness reasons. But Alex, do you think that's the only reason that we didn't see her as much? Or do you see her fitting into a Yona side of our team?
2: I think it's a hard one. I think we've definitely talked about it before where Manu Ibuchi was kind of the, the the missing piece of the midfield puzzle for a Joe, a Joe Montemuro Arsenal and style of play um, whereas Jonas is kind of shifted that um, focus of the midfield in terms of you know the high press, the aggressiveness and Manu Ibuchi, we, we saw her at Villa who have a different style of play and she didn't fit in because the players around her and the the team approach wasn't good and she didn't do well. Um, You know, she, she would play a good game, but it doesn't really matter because it just doesn't fit into the, to the rest of the team. And, and I'm, I'm disappointed that that might be what's happening here. Um, If, you know, if, and it's not just money, you know, it's Jordan not really fitting into, to a Jonas side, whether it be injuries or, or something else, but, it's these players that fit in perfectly with the Joe Montemurro possession, um, you know, calm the rhythm down and be a bit more laid back in the sense of aggressive pressing. Whereas Jonas is complete opposite. So when he's looking at a midfielder, I doubt that he's going to be looking at a very tiny human um, whose technical ability is insane, but doesn't have that aggressive you know, feeling to them. Um, and I'm not saying Manu Obuchi cannot go and kind of body someone off the ball, but it's just not what Jonas is looking for essentially, which is kind of sad. But I think, you know, if Jonas wants to make it work, I think there's definitely ways around to put a Manu Obuchi and make her fit into the team and be very, very, very beneficial to us. Um, but whether that's going to happen, I would, I would think that it's not going to happen in the sense that we want it to happen. Um but again, that's not down to the quality of mana. I think we all know the quality of mana. And the reason why we're getting so mad about mana not playing is because we know how good she is. And, but I think it's just down to kind of mana's strengths and what Jonas is looking for not really fitting together.
1: I, I completely agree. Sadly, I don't see it happening for mana at Arsenal um, for the reasons you've laid out. I mean, I think obviously a big blocker is Viv staying and playing in the number 10 position. Um, that's a real blocker for her because she's going to play most games. And what I was talking about earlier in terms of, um, you know, Jonas bringing more physical players into the spine, I think Viv's another one, right? He didn't re- Jonas didn't really like Mana or Jordan in the number 10 or even Kim, but he likes Viv there, um, who's, you know, bigger and more physical than all of them. And so then it becomes a question of, well, can Mana fill one of the wide spots? Well, first of all, there's so much competition there anyway and second of all I really don't think that Jonas wants like that wide number 10 um I think he likes his wingers to be wide and to take and to get crosses in and to take on fullbacks. whereas if you play manor out wide she'll come in which like you say perfect for a Joe team there there's an alternate timeline somewhere I'd love to be on where a couple of years ago um Arsenal get the man Iwabuchi signing done under Joe Montemoro and perhaps Jill Ward doesn't happen, which is not like Jill Rod's a really, really good player, but she felt very ill fitted to mm-hmm. me in a Joe Montemoro team. And ironically, I think Jill Ward would really fit into a Jonas team. Yeah. And so it just feels like we've we've gotten like we've fallen into the matrix somewhere where Manor was a signing, I mean, Arsenal tried to make it happen two years before it happened, but Manor was a signing that should have happened two years earlier. And maybe Gilles Ward should have gone somewhere else for two years and then joined us under Jonas or something like that, where I think should have been more... Because you look at, like, Joe played DVD out wide on the left for a season. You know, he likes those number 10s out wide. I, I just don't... And he played Jordan out wide. I just don't think Jonas wants that. I think Jonas wants his wide players to be wide players, um, which is part of the reason I think maybe Nikita Paris hasn't hasn't quite clicked because she's more of a wide player that likes to get in the box. And I think he likes, he, he likes that width and depth thing. So uh, unfortunately, I don't see it happening for Mana as much as maybe the injury makes me think, oh, okay, she probably would have played more minutes had she been fit or fitter. Um, but I, I still don't see it happening, um, to be honest, but we'll, we'll see, I guess maybe it what, well, maybe I'm completely wrong and maybe it was entirely down to fitness, but, um, on a, on a similar note, we had, we had a question from, uh, Domi Kodowo, uh, at Dando MK, which I'm kind of going to skip over cause I want to focus on one of the players. He asks about Iwabuchi, Nobbs and Paris. Um, not being starters and should the inability to get the best out of our backups be a concern. Um, we've kind of spoken about Jordan and Manor. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll skip to this question from uh, ch 91 uh, Would love to hear your thoughts on the rumours about Keats Paris leaving too. Um, so I guess those are the three big players that weren't getting minutes right, mana Jordan and, and Nikita. What do you think will happen with Nikita Paris, um, maybe even as soon as this summer, let alone next season?
2: I'm for Nikita Paris going somewhere else. Um, I, My relationship with Nikita Paris is, is a very um, rough one. Uh, it sounds like it. <laughs> it does, no. I was the thing is that I I think Nikita Paris is a very, you know, she's a good player. There's no denying that. You know, she's played for Lyon, she's played for Man City, and she's done really well at these clubs. But I think she's a player that fits a very specific kind of mold, and she can't step outside of that, if that makes sense. I think she was a perfect fit at City, which is the reason why she got recruited by Lyon. But then you look at her at Lyon, and she was playing as a central striker as well as out wide, and, you know, the fans didn't like her. She didn't perform. You know to the standard that she did at man city and then um you know she comes to arsenal and it's kind of the same situation of you know she's a great player but she didn't really click with Jonas with the style play with the players and that's just my concern from nikita i think nikita paris is yeah just she fits a very specific style of play and when she fits she performs really well but when it doesn't fit she's like she's not you can't really get anything out of her on the pitch I mean you look at her stats in the WSL for Arsenal and you know you expected her to being that she was back in the WSL being that she was back home and kind of in a a more comfortable environment around national teammates and and all that stuff you expected her to perform a lot better than she did regardless of whether she fit into the team and under your own or not Um, and and she didn't really live up to that expectation so I think that kind of says a lot about who she is as a player and again you know no hard feelings, but it's just, she's a player that, yeah, like when she doesn't fit, she doesn't fit. And it's very obvious. Um, and obviously that doesn't do anybody any favors for her or the club.
1: Yeah, completely agree. I, I think you're exactly right. She's a very specific type of player. And if you play to Nikita Paris's strengths, you get a world-class forward. And if you don't, you don't. <laughs> it's yes. kind of that simple. Um, I, I think she will go. I think the... At the very least, the interest in JC Ferreira um, puts the writing on the wall for her because JC is, you know, she's all those things I said. She's pacey. She likes to play on the shoulder. She's direct. Keats is all of those things. I think the issue for Keats is that she's a winger that likes to, you know, she's a wide striker basically, which if that's what you're after is is great. I don't think that's what Jonas is after. I think he's after wingers that feed strikers, um, basically. And I think the issue for Keats is um, one-on-one, she doesn't tend to beat players with the ball. She beats players off the ball. Yeah. Uh, she makes runs in behind. I think Jonas wants wingers that can beat players with the ball. And that's JC can do that. Right. We've seen that Beth Mead can do that. He signed Tobin. Tobin can do that. Katie McCabe can do that. Caitlin Ford is brilliant at doing that. He loves all of those players, but the players who who aren't as direct with the ball at their feet, he doesn't like as much, I don't think, particularly in those wide areas. I think also for Keats, you know, the World Cups next year in 2023, I I think she'll want to go. I I don't know that for sure. I don't have any privileged info on this other than the fact that there are clubs interested in her, obviously. I I got a feeling she might rock up at Man United or somewhere like that. I think that would be a really, really good place for her to go, not least because Man you don't... I mean, they have Alessia Russo, but the thing is, like, coming into a team with, like, Ada Hegerberg, Vivian Miedemer, Stina Blackstinius, like, they're the main goal scorers in your team, right? When she was at City... She was kind. Of, they didn't have that like really, really kind of very obvious central striker who scores all your goals. I, I think United would be a really good move for her actually, because I think she'd be pretty central to the attack, and I think she's she won't want another season like this with the World Cup next year, and with the the amount of competition there is in that England squad for the wide spots, and now Chloe Kelly's fit again. Um, And so Keats might keep her place in the Euro squad because Chloe Kelly was out for so long. Still not definite because Chloe is back. But I I think she'll want to go somewhere else and play. And I think that'll be the best for everyone concerned, um, basically. And like you say, she's a really good player. It's just I, I don't think she's a Jonas player.
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Let's, uh, let's look at this one, another hypothetical, at uh, Monifacy7, who is at Monifacy77 on Twitter. If you could bring back one former Arsenal player, retired or not, who would you bring back and Why?
2: Oh that's an interesting one. Um former Arsenal player. I um do you have the answer to this Tim?
1: I I have a quick answer for this, yes. There you go. So the the thing is I'd look at what Arsenal need um because it would be easy to say Kelly Smith, but like when you've got Vivian Medema you, you know I, I think that would almost be a waste um to have them both. Um, Jane Ludlow for me. Um, central midfielder, can play at the base of the midfield, could play at the, uh, in the number eight as well, played in both positions. Big, strong, hard as fuck, scores loads of goals. So Jane Ludlow for me.
2: Okay. Yeah, I think I was kind of overthinking it in the sense that yeah, I'm kinda of, I'm looking at it the same way of, of what we need. Um you know what I'm gonna go I think at at the kind of peak I wouldn't mind having a Vicky Lozada back in the midfield.
1: Fair, I wouldn't mind that either. Yeah. Do you, Do you think Vicky's a player who might move back a bit, like move to the back of the midfield to be more of a? Because she was always like when she was at Arsenal, she was quite box to box.
2: Um. I mean, yeah. Towards Towards the end of her Barcelona career, she was more of a of a CDM yeah. um, that would sit back. Um, she would kind of replace Patrik in the midfield and have Alexia and Aitana in front of her so yeah definitely she would be kind of you know at the stage that she is at her career like if we would get her you know right now she would definitely be kind of that CDM that would dictate the rhythm Um, obviously not as kind of you know snake hippie as as Leo Valti but she would be kind of that that CDM that you would she would kind of be a Leah Williamson but a CDM in terms of like she would get the ball calm the play down Dictate the rhythm and and like start that attacking play if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I,
2: which I think is obviously you know that's kind of one of my favorite positions and Vicky Losada is you know we all know how good as she is um, at playing in the midfield.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. Vicky was when she was at Arsenal was was possibly my favorite player um, at that time. Uh, excellent player. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't argue with that at all. Let's go to the last couple. So again um slightly off beam actually um a question about Manchester City which i think is actually a really interesting thing to discuss even though we're we're not the Manchester City women uh askcast um but obviously they're losing some big players so, like some of who like Jill Scott like of course that you know that's not a player they didn't want to lose as it were um, and, you know, Karen Bartley, like those players, are like Jill's not quite retiring, but, you know, she's been on loan twice. She's 35. That's, that's fairly amicable. But I think, you know, Georgia Stanway, Lucy Bronze, Caroline Weir, they are players that Manchester City did not want to lose, but they have. Um, we can only speculate on the reasons for them losing so many big players. But John Booth, um, again, at John Booth underscore 74 asks, is the exodus at City being overhyped? They were the form team towards the end of last season. Do you see them being more of a threat for the title this year?
2: Um, I would think it relies heavily on who they get in and how smart they are with their recruitment. Um, I, I mean, I've said it on Twitter, you know, these you know good players wanting to leave man city should come as no surprise and i do mean that with full force against man city you know in a very bad way of these players deserve more um and yeah grand you know man city have did well to get back and have you know beat chelsea in the final and stuff but essentially i think the way i see man city is the the success of the team comes down to individual brilliance rather than overall you know brilliance from a manager for example who kind of has reins on how to and how to you know make his team um kind of reach their full potential um so you know having these players leave you know Georgia Sanway she's arguably at the peak of her career um and going to a team like Bayern Munich who is playing at constantly a high level and will get far in the Champions League is not a surprise um, a Lucy Bronze who you know came from a very successful few years with Leon who won the Champions League multiple times it shouldn't always be a kind of you know surprise that she wants to get back at that level potentially or you know just kind of go and and enjoy her football should it be in the NWSL for example. Um, Caroline we are another one you know she's she's been having an amazing career and she deserves I mean by far she deserves to be a player who wins the Champions League and, you know, unfortunately Scotland aren't favorites to win, you know, a major tournament. So for Caroline Weir, for example, her kind of only way of winning a major, major, major trophy would be through a club and Man City are nowhere near winning the Champions League anytime soon. So, you know, these players leaving to kind of look for something better shouldn't, shouldn't come as a surprise essentially. And I think, Yeah, it's not shocking. And then, you know, the replacements that are rumored around to have, you know, Leila Wahabi, for example, um, to come in and replace, you know, Lucy Bronze, essentially. You have um, Dana Castellanos, who would come in and replace uh, Georgia Sanway. Um, I don't know if the replacements would be... The replacements, you know, the names are good, but I think it would depend on kind of how they fit into the club and how the club accommodate to them, which, you know, could go really surprisingly really well or it could go horribly wrong um, but yeah I think Man City are a special 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 club in the sense that they have argue, I would say arguably they have you know when the players that have now left were still there I would say arguably they have one of the most talented squads squads in the WSL um, but I don't think they have someone who knows how to kind of use it to the max potential because can you imagine you know a Lauren Hepp and Chloe Kelly um, a, you know a Bunny Shaw you know, being kind of managed to their greatest potential, that's that team would be unstoppable. Um, but unfortunately, I don't think that's the situation at City right now. Um, so, yeah, I think the exodus is, you know, it's, it's big players, but at the same time, you know, you still have Lauren Hemp and Chloe Cliley on the wing. So you can't really write off Man City yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and the reality is the the margins between the bigger teams are, are so small that I'd never write any of the, you know, the quote unquote, big three off, um, and and I think John's right in that City were the form team in the second half of the season. I think that was also true of the season before, though. Um, I think they were really the form team. And then, you know, they had lots of injury issues at the beginning of the last season. And, and I think that might be quite telling as well, that quite a lot of those players they lost for the first half of last season didn't come back as quickly Um, as they expected. So Steph Horton kind of broke down again. Lucy Bronze um, needed surgery, and that was identified quite late in the day. Chloe Kelly, I don't know exactly what happened with Chloe Kelly, but, you know, she was out for 12 months with an ACL. They're usually like nine, 10 months. And then you had Ellie Roebuck, who was out for like the whole of the first half of last season. And, And again, I don't think that was entirely expected. So I don't know if there are things happening behind the scenes. Um, there as well again I can only speculate I don't know but I'm just looking at some of those injuries and and I do think it's worrying for them as well like listen Bayern Munich are a really really strong team Um, you know Caroline Weir we're, we're told it looks like Madrid for her like Madrid you know they're quite a young team like in women's football terms I don't think a player in their prime like Caroline Weir should be considering Real Madrid a favourable option to Manchester City at this stage. Maybe in a couple of years, like I do think there there are some alarm bells there. And Lucy Bronze came back and only for two years and is gone again. Um, you know, I yeah, I I think that does look. If I were a Man City fan, I'd be worried about that, but I'm not, so I won't worry about it. But at the same time, like I, I'm not writing them off. Uh, for anything um, next year because these things are, are decided by by very, very small margins. And ultimately they still came away with a trophy uh, last year. And I think we're quite unlucky not to win two in terms of the FA Cup. But again, Sam Kerr happened to them. Um, and that's something a lot of teams can say, unfortunately. Um, th- there's a question here from uh, Ricky O, who is at O oh Ricky, would, would if, if you don't mind, Alex, I might just address just because it's like a fairly factual question. But it says, I saw a graph which shows Chelsea did much better at defending set pieces than us in last season. Do we have to hire a specialised set piece coach to address it? So what happens on the Arsenal coaching staff with set pieces is Leanne Hall, who is one of the assistant managers, and Sebastian Barton, who is the goalkeeping coach, they look after the set piece Um, element of training and obviously they're both uh, Leanne's also a goalkeeper coach as well so uh, they come from like they have a really good perspective on it and Arsenal scored a lot of goals from set pieces last season now on the defending side to be honest I think in set piece data I think set piece data is very noisy basically, and it swings wildly from one season to the next. So I wouldn't be surprised if, for example, Arsenal do much better at defending them next year than Chelsea. And I think a lot of Arsenal's issues in that um, were about the lack of continuity in defence. So, you know, there were centre-back injuries. Leah was injured, Haffaele was injured, Jen Beatty was in and out, Simone Boy was in and out. And then when you look at the end of last season, when Arsenal were basically picking the same back four for every game, Arsenal didn't concede from set pieces. So I think it's more down to that than the need to hire a specific coach. But there are two coaches who basically coach all the set pieces. And that is a continuation from um, Joe Montemorro as well. Basically, Jonas said he thought Leanne and Sebastian were doing a really good job on that, particularly early in the season when we were scoring loads of headers from corners. And so he wanted to keep them going. So, obviously they do other things other than set pieces but they are effectively the set piece coaches um two questions to finish off um first one from uh, mike mikey moriarty at mikey moriarty 95 we might have partially addressed this but um do you think another forward will be signed to rotate with so center forward to rotate with stina or do you think viv will continue to cover that role when needed alex
2: that's, I mean, yeah, that's a hard one to answer um, now ahead of, of kind of, I think it's quite early to to speculate on that. Um, I think that would have to be a conversation that Viv and Jonas would have to have and kind of, I think that Viv has upper hand in the sense that she has kind of some kind of liberty to ask for whatever she wants. So if she doesn't want to play central
1: striker, I think Jonas has to kind of conform to that. Um, and she did say that playing at 10 was... You know, one of the reasons Precisely. she signed on as well. Precisely. So,
2: you know, I mean Viv is always gonna be kind of she's gonna become a backup in the sense that, you know, should mm-hmm. uh Cena be injured, you know, you know, Beth Mead complain in that position, Caitlin Ford complain in that position. So I think there's plenty of options that we have to kind of replace Cena in that position. But then whether I think it would be Smart to have a pure number nine replacement for Stina. um, because again, you know, Beth, we all know is better on the wing. Caitlin is better on the wing because they have that one v one. They have that aggressive uh, press, um, and the press and the style play that Jonas wants to play, I think, is very specific style play for a number nine, um, which is why Viv suits better as a ten. Why Beth is on the wing? Why Caitlin's on the wing? I think putting Viv. Beth and Caitlin as a replacement for Cena in the number nine position is kind of a ba- like just a quick plaster sort of say over the problem. Um, I do, I would like to see a number nine being signed, whether that's a priority. I don't think so. Um, I think that would be maybe one for further down the line to see how, I think there's other positions that require a bit more prioritizing before we get to that point. Um, but for now there's enough replacement for the number nine that Viv doesn't have to do it. Um, but eventually I think it would probably be necessary.
1: Yeah. I I think the reality is that Caitlin um, will continue to be that kind of that backup number nine, because she's got a lot of the qualities that Viv likes and sorry, that Jonas likes in the striker. Um, But also JC um, can play through the middle, does play through the middle um, for Madrid. um, Albeit she plays it in a very different way, obviously. um, And she plays on the shoulder and, And, like, I think you can do that for Madrid um, in Spain, like, uh, with all due respect, a mid-table team who perhaps don't face, you know, packed defences who are sitting in their penalty area. Um, But, you know, JC can play that role, but I imagine she would come to play more as a wide forward. I I agree with you. I I don't think it's a massive priority. I wouldn't complain. Um, But I think... In reality, Caitlin will probably continue to understudy that that nine position, and and obviously we can throw Midmer into the mix, which is not a bad player to throw into the mix. So, I, and like I said, I do think, I do think we do get a bit carried away with the depth thing, um, and like need to remember that you know it's, it's twenty two league games um it it's not a lot of football the conti cup isn't isn't there in the group stage anymore um assuming we get through our champions league qualifier and so you know you're only looking at you're looking at like 30 for like maximum 40 games that's not a lot to spread around 25 players um but one like, like i said near the beginning of the podcast, I do think we should almost consider Stina a new signing for this year. I, I think if she stays fit, she'll challenge with a golden boot. I think she will be Arsenal's top scorer. Um, but I think with the kind of you know, that's three big players in Caitlin Ford, Stina Blackstinius and Vivian Medima who can all comfortably play up front. So and and you know you throw potentially throw JC in there as well. I, I think it's pretty well covered um, to be honest. So I I wouldn't make it a priority. Um, Last question. In fact, it's two questions that I'm going to tie together about playing at the Emirates, because the other thing that's come out since the last time we recorded is that Arsenal have committed to playing six games at the Emirates next season. So uh, again, assuming we qualify for the group stage, which is not a given because there's a Champions League qualifier uh, still to negotiate, but Should that happen, um, then Arsenal will play all three of their Champions League group games at Emirates Stadium. I think the thing that we should mention on top of that is at least one and potentially two, it just depends how the fixtures would fall, of those home games would take place while the World Cup is on for the men. So Arsenal men will not be playing during that period. It will come during the period while the World Cup's on, where perhaps you know people have been missing going to live football. Um, maybe sitting sitting on their sofas watching the World Cup wanting to go to a stadium again I think that would be a really, really good opportunity Um, and they'll play three WSL games there next year and I think um, the first question was actually from Phil at Phil AWFC he asks what we think the third WSL home game will be assuming that two of them are, are Chelsea and Spurs and Kieran Bannon at cbannon official, do you think more marketing is need needed for the planned emirates games, and what would a successful attendance be
2: i oh yeah i think the marketing um speaks for all of us that definitely yes um I think look the potential that we have to play at the Emirates is big, and the fact that Arsenal haven't really exploited that yet is a bit of a disappointment. And I know this this season, um, when we had that Wolfsburg match midweek, and we had the, the North London derby at the Emirates in the weekend, all focus went onto the North London derby, and, and there was you know a decent twenty k crowd that was expected at the Emirates. But if Arsenal, are... Un, you know, and I understand that it's hard to kind of manage both, but if Arsenal is so unable to to promote a Champions League match midweek, and you know, we got what four k at that Wolfsburg match um that is I mean to put it in a very blunt matter that is really upsetting and really sad when you look at the the potential of what it has and it's just a bit disappointing you know we've talked about the simplicity of of marketing and kind of putting the name out there when you know Chelsea do it so well of little things of just putting flyers around the you know Kingston around the stadium and, and just putting you know there's a match this day it's not even like hard in the sense that you're not you know you're not paying millions for an influencer for example to to do a video of of marketing a a match you know you're marketing a football match you know arsenal do it for the men very very easily um so it's literally just applying the same concept of that into the women's game and and starting you know it's going to be hard to do it but you need i think we need to start kind of Putting the men and women in the same category in terms of you're promoting a football match. You're not promoting women's football. You're not promoting men's football. You're promoting a football match, at an iconic stadium. So once we start doing that kind of, you know, mentality of it's not that hard to promote a football match, and um, because everyone does it so often. Once we get that kind of sorted, I think we can move forward, potentially with with getting bigger crowds and stuff. But it is really disappointing, um, and if you know, we are intending to kind of play all these matches at the Emirates, especially Champions League matches. I do hope that more marketing goes behind it and it's kind of giving the attention that it deserves. I mean, we've seen it in, you know, in Germany, in Spain, and France, the attention that the Women's Champions League matches have, have been given and that's what's needed here because we haven't used that yet. You know, between Arsenal playing at the Emirates and not really marketing for it and then Chelsea marketing for it but only playing at Kings Meadow um you know it's kind of an unbalanced a in general when you look at the champions league matches that are held in england
1: yeah i so on this i've i've spoken to to someone um at arsenal um a, a, about this in in like a a good position of responsibility and what i'd say is arsenal are really ambitious about this and and like i'm not just saying that to spin a line um or repeat what i've been fed Um, You know, I had a good conversation with someone I know well. They are ambitious about this. That's why you're seeing them ramp this up. Um, I I think in fairness to them, the Tottenham game, you know, the North London derby. Now, I I think it's right that, you know, I think it's right to say that more marketing went into that than the Wolfsburg game, for example. But had that have taken place on the day it was scheduled, it would have been about 20,000, <clears> which I think would have been a really, really good attendance. But on Arsenal's side, they're, they're really ambitious about doing this, about ramping this up, about this being regular. Um, and, and you know, different clubs have different outlooks on this. Chelsea and Man City, they own their women's stadiums. So that's, I think, the reason why you don't see them play like at the Etihad or or at Stamford Bridge that often because they own their stadiums and they're looking to naturalise themselves in their own stadiums, whereas, you know, Arsenal don't have that, albeit Arsenal invest a lot in Boreham Wood. Uh, people might have seen that Boreham Wood making further investment Um, over this summer and over the next couple of years I can tell you that Arsenal are involved in that um, and that Arsenal are putting money towards that that is why the south stand will be called the clock end uh, once that gets redeveloped Um, but Arsenal are are really really ambitious about using the Emirates and, and like People at the club are very aligned on this. Jonas wants this as well. I know the players are really, really keen on it. And they're really keen on, you know, the idea that like when they played Spurs in May, they just kind of said it felt like home. Like, it, you know, we were used to playing there. We'd had a good few games there. It just felt like home. And obviously, you know, everyone knows how to get to the Emirates and, and things like that. The other thing that Arsenal have done, I think, deserves some commendation is when you renew your men's season ticket, you are given the option at the point of purchase. And I'm literally looking at my season ticket renewal email right now because it came through. Um, at midday today there is a section in the email that says support Arsenal women at Emirates Stadium we will host six Arsenal women's first team games at Emirates Stadium next season and you can be At every one of them, simply add our AWFC fixture package to your basket here. So, at the point of your men's season ticket renewal, you can pay an extra fifty pounds and get into all six of those games. So that's that's a really easy and quick way of selling lots of tickets. So that email is going to like around forty thousand season ticket holders. Let's say five thousand decide, yeah, yeah, I'll pay an extra fifty quid and get into all six of those games. Now. Those, you know, people might not turn up, at all six of those games or whatever, but at least the club have got the money <laughs> up front and they've made it easy at the, click, lit, the literal click of a button. 40,000 Arsenal fans have got that email saying, book all six games right here when you renew your season ticket. And ordinarily, 50 quid would feel like a lot more money, but when you're about to put down. Somewhere between um, a thousand and eighteen hundred (laughs) pounds, maybe an extra fifty quid doesn't feel um, as big an investment. So that, like, I I can say, um, you know, and I can hear, I can hear the cries of lackey. (laughs) already Um, but I I do think that Arsenal mean business on this and that this is a serious part of their strategy with the women's team over the next few years and their marketing of the women's team and I think players like Vivian Meadham are a a big part of the reason that they are at least for now convinced about the size of the ambition of the club is things like this but I agree with you Alex I think like let's promote all of those games um, you know fairly equally at least there is likely to be a champions league group game in there that's perhaps not you know like the equivalent of Kirsch last yeah, season like how how many people would have come to the emirates to see that not sure but that's that's why you sell in a package um i guess so um yeah definitely a- a- as for the speculation about the other team because i think it's right that it probably will be chelsea and spurs i think that will just depend it, it could be city Um, But I think it will depend on when the men's international breaks fall and you have these like women's football weekends. Um, So, you know, if Arsenal get Everton, for example, in one of those weekends, it will be Everton um, or West Ham or someone like that. So I think the preference would be for it to be City. But at the same time, um, yeah, it will just depend on how the fixtures fall. And I do think there could be something to be said for playing the big games at the Emirates. And it almost, because like in the WSL, frankly, the games are distinct. You have the big games and the not big games. And I think there'd be an advantage to saying, right, let's play all the big teams at the Emirates. So we have a strategy for all of them that fits and we're not moving around. So it's almost like, right, Emirates is our big game turf, bigger pitch, bigger crowd. We can adjust accordingly for all of those games. So I I think that's maybe in the thinking. but that, that was quite a long ramble on my part just to say that like I don't think Arsenal are doing this lightly and I, and, and I know the players and the coach are behind this. So, um, yeah, f- fingers crossed. And because the other advantage is they get the men's marketing then, they get the marketing on the men's side so they have all that resource they can call on and let's hope they use it. Um, Alex, I know you've got another meeting to go to in a couple of minutes, so let's leave it there. Thank you very much as always.
2: Always oh, a pleasure. It was nice to be a bit more positive about Arsenal this time.
1: Yeah, indeed. It's amazing what happens when they're not playing football games. Um,
2: yeah. No football <laughs> matches. They've made every signs. It's
1: good. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Exactly. Um, we've got another two podcasts lined up before the Euros kicks off, and we've got some really, really stellar guests, um, some absolute A-listers uh, lined up um, to talk about a few things. There'll be some Euros chat, but... Um, in the next four weeks, there will be another two podcasts for you um, with lots of guests doing lots of talking. So it won't be me talking quite so much, but Um, until then thanks so much for submitting all your questions thanks so much for downloading and listening like i've said a million times before we're not going dark over the summer there will be plenty of content both written and audio and there'll be loads of audio content coming for you in the next few weeks so until then take care of yourselves thanks and goodbye